0: Welcome to Dropping In,
1: a podcast of storytelling and interviews with your host, Winter Olympian Mercedes Nichol. Thank you for dropping in to episode four with me. If you've listened to Dropping In's first three episodes, you'll know that I've shared my Olympic journeys and my last two guests shared their stories of overcoming injuries and fears. On episode 4, my guest has overcome so much. He's faced his fears head-on, and he's grateful every day. His story gives me goosebumps. Let me introduce my next guest on episode 4 of Dropping In. He has spent over 20 years on skis. Starting off in the extreme sport world at the age of 12, he competed in freestyle skiing on the international level. His professional ski dreams came to a stop when he broke broke both of his ankles, taking a step back from his competition life. He wasn't done with the ski industry yet. He became the head coach of the British Columbia Freestyle Ski Team, paving his way to coaching athletes on the national, Canadian National Development Team. In 2013, while in the U.S., on a trip with his team, his life drastically changed. This skier, speaker, coach, consultant, announcer, host, author of his new book, Never Part of the Plan, a story of courage, resilience, and gratitude. He's grateful every day. I'm so happy to introduce Mike Shaw. How's it going, Mike?
0: It's going awesome, Mercedes. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you. How are you feeling today? We're in the COVID times.
0: I'm doing well. It's Monday. I... uh my weeks look a lot different right now than they normally do, but I'm trying to keep some sort of normalcy and routine and, and stay proactive during this time. And I think it's that, uh, there's a bit of uncertainty for sure. Like I, I like to call it collective uncertainty because we're all a little bit unsure right now about what's, what's around the corner. But, uh, yeah, staying up, enjoying, working hard, been spending time on things that I don't get to spend time on. Usually it's, things are going well.
1: Yeah. You're normally traveling around the world. Um, okay. So I've really, I've started the cup, the first couple episodes off with the 10 questions that are rapid fire. And you have not seen these questions. I didn't send these to you. So yeah, right on. here we go. Where in the world are you today?
0: I am mean, in my home in Lake country, British Columbia, it's just uh, near Kelowna, BC for those of you that know Kelowna.
1: Nice. Okay. What time did you wake up today?
0: This morning, I woke up at 7 and then, uh, yeah, got after. That's pretty standard. 7 a.m.
1: 7 a.m. Okay. I love, I love knowing what time people wake up. It's, it varies. Uh, okay. Number three, what do you do when you want to relax?
0: Uh, easiest one is yoga or just exercise. I used to do a lot more yoga than I'm doing lately because my studio is closed down. But, uh, True. Yeah. That's uh, usually it. Moving meditation. Get out and get active.
1: I love it. Okay, number four: summer or winter?
0: Ooh, so hard. Like six years ago, easily would have been winter, but now I think I'm more of a summer guy.
1: Ooh, see, I, when if I were to answer that, I would I wouldn't be able to answer. I'd say both. I love them both.
0: <laughs> it's it's pretty challenging, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I like warm weather. I like beaches. Yeah. I don't know. I love skiing. Don't get me wrong. Love it, but. Uh, if you had asked me that question six and a half years ago, it would have been a no-brainer winter. But I think I'm turning into more of a summer guy.
1: Yeah, for sure. Me too. It might have something to do with our age.
0: <laughs> Perhaps. We're not getting after it on the mountain as much as we used <laughs> to,
1: All right. Number five. Do you have any tattoos?
0: I do not have any tattoos.
1: Zero. Got okay. It. I just threw that one in there. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know you that well. I wouldn't know these things about you. So, all right. Number six, must have spring gear because it's springtime right now.
0: Ooh. Mountain bike or paddleboard?
1: Okay. I would have said rain jacket and rain boots.
0: <laughs> <laughs> in the Okanagan, saying, it's not, it only rains for like five minutes and then it's over.
1: Do you have a favorite board game?
0: Yeah, probably Settlers of Catan.
1: Yes, good answer. Good answer. Number eight, favorite drink? Ooh. It can be alcoholic, non-alcoholic. Is is,
0: is beer allowed? Yeah, probably that, or coffee, actually. Coffee, for sure.
1: Coffee, nice. Okay, number 10, one question you hate being asked?
0: I don't think there is one. I (laughs) I had to really think on that for a while. I'm like... I'm pretty open book to be it's honest we'll make this a good podcast but uh <laughs> that's
1: okay we're I very canadian
0: pass no, <laughs>
1: pass okay so the number 10 question is something that I will be asking all of the guests in the overcoming fears episodes mm-hmm. is what is the bravest thing you've ever done
0: it's funny because being brave usually There's our preconceived notion of being brave is that you have to do something that requires an immense amount of courage Mm -hmm. that it's either that it's scary or it's dangerous or it's high risk, something like that. But I think the times in my life where I've been the most brave have been in the face of vulnerability Mm -hmm. because vulnerability more than we might expect is the thing that paralyzes us in the moment, like feeling like you might get judged or that fear of failure or anything in a moment where you kind of feel your skin crawling that kind of vulnerability might be something about embarrassment or whatever and there's uh that's when i've i've had to be the most brave some of the some of the active antics and risk-taking i've done in my life pales in comparison to um standing up in the face of vulnerability
1: totally so for instance like you doing this crazy trick is not the bravest thing you've ever done but someone that doesn't ski or snowboard would be like dude that was so brave and you're like actually it's harder for me to maybe ask for help like that's something that i had issues with asking for help so like raising your hand in class or something like that where you're like i don't think i'm going to be right
0: totally and it can be for me like standing at the top of the in-run above like an 80 foot jump or something like that. A sunset shoot on the glacier, black Blackcomb, Momentum Ski Camps. Like you get those nerves, you get the endorphins and you have to like push your envelope. You got to like find your edge and lean into it. That's uh, where that fear of failure is, the stress, the anxiety. <laughs> But that's also where growth and progress and learning, the magic of life, they all coexist in that space where you're pushing the limit. That's why it's so easy to get addicted to extreme sports because you get crazy adrenaline rushes and endorphins and everything like that. But you can get the same thing uh, walking up on stage before a big speech or even on 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 a smaller level for... Some people, their edge, that limit, is literally walking up to a group of people they've never met before and introducing themselves, putting 100%. themselves, putting themselves out there, and that's where that like vulnerability threshold comes in. Just depends on the depends on the situation, I guess, really. But the uh, yeah, it's one and the same. Like I don't know, it's the same thing. Like people, some people don't understand how people can absolutely fall in love with public speaking because it's like one of the scariest things. In, on, in the world for most people is getting up in front of a room and, and doing that. But uh it's it's the same same idea as when you're standing at the top of the in run or in the start gate at any contest. When the starter calls your name and they say, bib number such such dropping in three, two, one. That's right when you walk up on stage.
1: Yeah, and your heart's it's just a- racing. You got the butterflies. It's the same thing. How long have you been a, a public speaker?
0: I guess uh it goes back to 2014 i fell into it kind of by accident i got asked to speak at a closing like end of the year banquet for a ski academy that i worked at in 2013 when i had my accident they invited me back to come and uh and do an address to the whole whole group and there were like four or five hundred people there and that was the first one i did and uh unknowingly like it Started something like I I made a video of uh, My experiences in in recovery from my accident and showed it at that in that Thing and I spent maybe an hour putting it together and I've used that same video in like hundreds of times since then I had no idea what I was creating and in the early days. I just started doing it and, and Now it's what I do more like for a living
1: so for sure. Okay, so you touched on your accident uh, a couple times. Now, I didn't really go into any of the details. I wanted you to be able to kind of share that story with our listeners, if you don't mind.
0: Yeah, I'd lo- I'd be happy to. It's uh, it's challenging to relive some days, but I, uh, I've been, I'm good with it. I've been, I've been back through it plenty of times, and and I I share it because I think it can help people like. In 2013, I was coaching the Canadian development level half pipe program. So I was working with top athletes from BC, Alberta, and Ontario for superpipe skiing. We were doing World Cup events and NORAM Cup and stuff like that. And I was coach and on a routine, routine training day at a World Cup contest in Copper Mountain, Colorado, I uh Coach the coach the guys and girls for three hours. We had to pipe from nine until noon in the morning, and then afternoon the snowboarders got it. And so, in this one particular day, December sixteenth, two thousand thirteen, the regular day, we skied pipe in the morning, then went to go and ski park in the afternoon. And because we were just free skiing or just lapping in the afternoon, I was skiing with my athletes, and on a routine trick, I was performing a just a. It was a nose butter 720. So I've done thousands of 720s, just a nose butter takeoff, and ended up landing in a in a bad place on the hill. I landed on my feet. I did the two rotations, landed forwards, and uh, and I just felt like boom, like I got uppercutted in the face. I was tumbling downhill. I remember like this chaos and I, and something was so different about this crash. Cause I was going, how did I just get uppercutted in the face? Like I was supposed to land on my feet and I slid to a stop face down in the snow. And it occurred to me that I was like, Oh no. I was like, I just, Hit my face really hard, and then I felt a a brief but sharp pain in my neck, and then I felt nothing, and I couldn't stop falling. I couldn't self erect. I couldn't get up. I was laying face down, breathing into my goggles, just panting like, no, 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 no. Like, I just broke my neck. Ugh. Even though I landed on my feet, pitched quickly forwards onto my face, my feet came up like a scorpion tail, and all the pressure just went to my neck, like this like bang and my spinal cord was crushed and pinched off so quickly. It didn't even, I didn't even register that my feet hit the ground before my face did. It happened so fast. And, um, but immediately I knew how bad it was. I had had a, a ski coach in my life who had been paralyzed from skiing, from a skiing accident. That was a scorpion like crash as well. So I, I remember just going, like no, like I've got to, I got to talk to Josh duick And but I, I, was, I knew what happened immediately. I thought about Josh. I thought about my family. I thought about the fact that I was lucky that I didn't have a concussion. And then uh, one of my athletes popped off. One of my, who was skiing with me, popped off one of my skis that was supporting some of my body weight, and my face and whole body slid down the snow like it was, it was propping me up the hill. And so I felt my face drag across the snow just slightly. And that's when I went into fight or flight and I was like, Whoa. And I was screaming at the top of my lungs, but I paralyzed like a, I only had two thirds of my, maybe of my lung capacity at the time. So, but I said to the guys, I was like, Whoa, did you move me? Like, do not move me. Don't roll me over. Um, I need someone to grab me and C spine. And at the time, one of my best friends, Colin Sutherland, who actually had a camera on, he was filming the whole thing. He, He put the camera down and said, one sec, I'm going to grab you in C spine buddy. And he was already moving to that before I even said anything. We were just like, he was, he was my first responder and he, uh, and he just held me in C spine and my athletes were at my side. They went to go get ski patrol. And then that was the the start of a long journey back from being a, a quadriplegic and being paralyzed from the neck down.
1: Thank you for sharing that. Like I have goosebumps. I, I haven't heard that story firsthand. And, um, I was actually at that contest in Colorado. So we had heard snippets of what was going on, uh, from like Cassie Sharp and and your crew. Uh, it's a crazy story, but do you want to keep going and share like that journey overcoming things after
0: that? Yeah. yeah. So that was December 16th, 2013. It was right at the start of that winter. So that's about six and a half years ago now. Like so I got my math right. Um, <laughs> it was a defining moment in my life. Like everything changed in an instant. Life as I knew it was the rug was pulled out from underneath me. All of a sudden I was going from uh, a routine skiing day with my team at a bit. Like, you know, we were just at the beginning of our contest season. Everything was, we were firing. It was awesome. To Paralyzed on the snow ski patrol gets there and I'm scared. And I'm thinking like, okay, I, I knew how we had to s- fix the situation. So it's was like ski patrol is the first step. The patroller gets there on site and I hear him say over the radio in a shaky voice. Like I need support. He's saying it to dispatch. He's like dispatch. I need support. I need all hands on deck. I need the on-hill doctor. I've got a code black. And I was like, dude, you couldn't give me any other color. Like,
1: oh my <laughs> <code> God!
0: Go <laughs> black sounds serious.
1: It does.
0: <laughs> and, he, uh, and it was. They they put, they pa- they packaged me up. They put me on a on a journey. Got me down to the infirmary where I was stabilized and, and prepared for a heli back to Denver, which is the next clearest, closest trauma center. Once in Denver. I went into surgery that night. I had two titanium rods and 10 screws installed in my neck. They fused me from my C3 vertebrae to my C7. I'd actually dislocated and broken my neck. So I bent my head so far back. You know, like a Pez dispenser candy machine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was me. So <laughs> I was I that for a visual. <laughs> but, uh, that
1: was good. Yeah, I, I think everyone up, else um, understands. what they, I bent what you're my talking.
0: head so far back. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a gross visual, but sorry everyone. But, um, I bent my head so far back that my neck dislocated and I actually broke my C6 vertebrae, but they needed to realign and stabilize my neck. So they put in these rods, they cut away a lot of the bones. So my spinal cord could swell, which was really my only hope for physical recovery. And then I woke up the next morning and I could just slightly bend my elbows. Like I had a bit of bicep function so I could close my elbows Mm-hmm. But I couldn't open them. So my triceps weren't working. Because you think about it, one one closes the joint, one opens it. And um, I had a little bit of deltoids and some traps. And that was it. And that was all they said I would get. So okay, okay, okay,
1: okay. So the doctor said that's all you would get. And in your head, what are you thinking at that point?
0: Well, he told me... They looked at my charts, these two guys, you can picture them because it was the surgeon and then the spinal specialist and the spinal specialist was leading the meeting. And you can picture these guys, they're both wearing the white lab coats. They've got the stethoscope around the neck. One of them's got the clipboard. in hand. the head. They have, One guy has this old white whispery mustache. He literally looked like the oldest thing in the hospital. That was the uh, specialist, the spinal specialist. <laughs> and Because he'd probably seen more. He probably was the oldest thing in the hospital. It was a pretty new facility, but he, uh, he'd probably seen more scenarios like mine than anybody in at that time and um he he looked at me he looked at my chart and he said okay you should prepare yourself because you're never going to walk again and I was like whoa like how do you know
1: right right
0: how like how do you know and and I wanted to I don't think I was challenging him too hard but I was like how do you know like why would you tell me that type of thing and um he told me why and he gave me his reasoning for sharing that information with me and it all made sense but i was like you know what i don't know if you're right and i'll prepare myself if that is going to be my outcome mentally and emotionally i can i think i can work through that i know it's going to be hard that was like a, a really uh, a really crazy realization at the time but i also said to myself i'm not going to i'm not going to make that my possibility i'm not going to make that my Future or my impossibility right now, I'm going to just leave it that door open and I love
1: that. I see love how
0: it that. goes. And um, you think about it though, like nobody knows what you're capable of. Oh, you.
1: totally. Oh, when I had my crash, I said in my first episode, um, doctors were telling me to retire. And I had counselors telling me, you know, when you have a concussion, you're like kind of slow. They are like, yeah, you are getting older. And I was like, no, I'm going to stay positive here and i don't know if i'll snowboard again but i hope like to be able to be active again
0: yeah and so. you just leave that door open in yeah, your mind yeah. if you close it right then like if that what the what the, these doctors who are you know professionals in western medicine what they if they if they telling you if you close that door in your mind the likelihood like i can't say for sure that because i know that there's a lot of luck involved with my recovery and getting better from spinal cord injury like the mm-hmm. the fact is is that my injury was the mechanism wasn't so severe that i i had a chance to begin yeah. with but it looked like a million to one odds and i i just if i would have closed that door immediately and not decided to try working towards it i can't say for sure but i'm pretty confident that i wouldn't be as as healthy and able bodied as i am now today because i still deal with deficiencies from a spinal cord injury every day like i still can't fully feel my legs they're numb there are other like my hand dexterity is not quite there i've got um pain spasticity tone i'm hyper reflexive i've got the to temperature there's other invisible things that you can't tell because like the bottom of your spinal cord all those nerves feed your bowel bladder genital function all that stuff is is still compromised to a point from spot from a quadriplegic spinal cord injury i would never It will not be a day in my life where I'm not reminded that I broke my neck. It's something I challenge with every single day, but like you said earlier.
1: Yeah, you went from a doctor telling you this is the best you have. You have a couple muscles in your arms and your arms are hardly working to now when I see you visually, I can see you're walking. And you're you're using your arms, but you really just told us that there's like a whole nother set of things that we can't see that you're still dealing with. Um, how long was that journey of you recovering and and getting those couple steps in?
0: I was in the hospital for just over three months total, like two weeks in intensive care with life support system and stuff because my breathing was affected. They were really concerned that I was going to need to go. Luckily, I didn't need life support, but I was. In the ICU, then I went for, once I was stabilized, I got flown from Denver back to Vancouver, where I spent a week in Vancouver General Hospital. And then I moved to GF Strong, which was the trauma rehab facility in Vancouver. And um, I, I, I I had to relearn how to use my entire body, like my hands, my wrists, like I couldn't eat. I couldn't, I was completely reliant on others for at least a month. Like I didn't. The first thing I did for myself in terms of having independence is I, I brushed my teeth three weeks to the day from the accident. And they had to put a huge adaptive grip on my toothbrush so I could just like grip it with my thumb and my palm. Like I didn't even have individual finger dexterity. And, but I brushed my teeth and it's things like that that don't even show up on the radar of things you think you take for granted. Like oh. it's not even like a blip. I was so happy I cried. And I was just like, just to do one thing for myself. For sure. And then, sure. and then from there, like I, I continued uh, to see progress and like gratitude ramped up. The hope I saw like a bit more light at the end of the tunnel. And I, I took my first steps in six weeks. And then I walked out of the hospital three months with walking aids. And then, and then after that, I just carried on working at my rehab like a full time job. And in ten months, I was walking with Kane And in at a, a year to the day, I stepped back into a pair of skis for the first time and skied in Whistler with a bunch of my friends, and and uh, that was an eye opener because I knew it was it was it was a great achievement, but my body was nowhere close to where I needed it to be or hoped it would get to. And so I kept working and working, and working, and then uh, now I'm fortunate to say that I'm I'm pretty able. Like I can I can run, I can. I'm not as agile or as faster. I don't rebound. I don't have the same reflexes that I used to. But my, my body, I can tell to do a lot of, a lot of stuff, which I'm super, super grateful for. Like, so lucky.
1: Heck, yeah. Such an amazing story. And as I said earlier, you have a book that is now out, and you can get it. Do you want to tell us about that?
0: Yeah, I just actually finished writing it this spring. It's called The Never Part of the Plan, and it's a story of courage, resilience, and gratitude. And it's all about how you can overcome the biggest challenges in your life. But going beyond just overcoming adversity and the things that really test us, it's just a it's a bit of a, a roadmap told via story about my my story about how you can achieve your potential and go higher, go farther, do what you're capable of. And I uh, love it. I love it. Yeah, I, it. I, I so wrote excited. it. I wrote it to help people who are going through tough times, but I think there's something in it for everybody.
1: Wicked. Thank you so much. I have ordered my book. Can you let everyone know where they can grab a copy for themselves?
0: It's, uh, it's on Amazon. So it's on Amazon books and in your local marketplace. place. So wherever you are, if it's amazon.com.ca.eu.co.uk, wherever it's, uh, go at amazon.com, look up never part of the plan mike shaw and should pop up
1: awesome well mike we're gonna close it up with uh, my takeaways from this obviously i had goosebumps hearing your story i know we've had some laughs we've been uh, commentating together at world cups last year that was so much fun but to hear your story is just so crazy and you've really overcome a lot of fears from what i can hear and my takeaways were that um you always have someone to look up to. You were saying that you, uh, Josh was there. He was kind of the first person you thought about. So having someone, um, a teammate or someone that you look up to is, is pretty important. Also, uh, we definitely talked about keeping that door open. So staying optimistic and positive. And for me, it would be like not taking the first answer as like the solid just think outside the box a little bit there
0: stay curious
1: yeah stay curious i love that yeah and don't don't take life for granted there's so many things that you're able to do or that are difficult but think about others that aren't able to do those or or trying to overcome their fears uh and stuff like that so anything else that you wanted to add in there
0: yeah there's you you nailed so, so much of it. Like you don't have to look far outside yourself to see some, to see others that give you perspective, right? People that are, are worse off. And I find that gratitude is the big, is one of the most powerful tools that we all have for overcoming adversity because it, it helps pick you up. Like anytime you think about everything that you have to feel thankful for, I can do those warm and fuzzies. is make it's easier to smile and keep that optimism, that real optimism. And, uh, Yeah, I live by those words. Grateful every day. Keeps you strong. Keeps you working hard moving in the right direction.
1: So good. Thank you so much, Mike, for being on my podcast, Dropping In. Uh, Again, the book that is out right now, Never Part of the Plan by Mike Shaw. I can't wait to read it and get it. I've ordered it. I'm so stoked. Thanks again, Mike. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much.
1: On the next episode of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes Nickel, I interview someone you may know as a singer or a broadcaster. Hometown hockey, ring any bells? Drop in next Thursday. Thank you, DJ Kenosis, for the music and my mom for the intro voice. Hi, I'm Joel
0: McLeod, co-host of the 905er podcast. The 905 is one of the most diverse and densely populated regions of Canada. Four and a half million of us live, work and play in the area surrounding Toronto. That's more people in the 905 than actually live in Toronto. Each election, the 905 decides who forms our government at both the provincial and federal levels. So why isn't more attention being focused on us here in the 905? We're looking to change that. My co-host Roland Tanner and I Tell the stories that define what we are calling the most important region in Canada. Each week, we bring to your attention news, culture, and issues that make up what it means to be a 905er. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Or you can visit us at 905er.ca to subscribe. Come on a journey like no other